You're listening to episode 39 of Fear the Boots interview series. In this interview, we talk with Pete Petruccio. Running time for this episode is one hour and nine minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Wade. This is Brodor. And joining us today is Pete. Yeah, so dreamy. (laughs) Sorry, Pete. I talked right over you because I was just so excited about how dreamy you are. (laughs) So, Pete, I have one question to start us off here. All right. Shoot. Based on everything Brodor has said about you and how much he has (laughs) gushed. Just how good is he at filleting? Because <laughs> he obviously has done this based on the amount yeah, that he talks so about. So for me. anyone, because this was some episodes back, all right? This, this was several months back. Brodor, do you want to start over with the story <laughs> of that glistening meadow of flowers across which you saw Pete and you ran to him in slow motion? Well... Our romance, it's its a slow burn. Right. It's, it so, starts at Origins. It does. It was it was Origins 2015, right? It was 2015? Yeah. Indie Press Revolution. Yeah. So I, this, I've only been recognized from Fear the Boot twice. Both of them were at this convention. And I'm in the Indie Press Revolution booth. And I... What were you doing in IPR's booth? Looking at their amazing role-playing game. Okay, office. I thought you were working the booth. No, 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 no. I was shopping. I thought you were working. Right. No, I was there. I was there as part of the uh, the gamma board. Okay. So I hear this guy. Um, I hear this guy, and uh, he's like, "Hey, are you on Fear the Boot?" And I look over, and it's this beautiful man. And <laughs> and immediately I was ensorcelled. And so we talked for a few minutes, and he probably is going to remember it differently than me. But I just. Got lost in his eyes, and we talked about role-playing games for a little bit. And then you went to the bathroom and blew him. He was, he was already bent down looking at a book, and I'm pretty sure he knocked the whole row of books down. <laughs> so then recently, at this past Archon, a local gaming convention in Collinsville, Illinois, in the greater St. Louis area, I run into Pete again. And I was like, oh, my God, Pete, how's it going? He's like, Broder, how's it going? And we started talking, and again, I... It's funny because now he's downplaying this. <laughs> there is a there's a dance party at this uh, at this convention archon that is huge. Like everyone comes to archon for like this costume ball masquerade and these skits, and then they gather and they and like the center of it all is after the masquerade. There is this gigantic, massive, all inclusive dance party with you know free booze, and uh, we see each other in the dance floor like holding cheap beer that's free and he's like peter <laughs> like the room in the darkness <laughs> i'm starting to who's the guy that's saying magic on the ghostbuster soundtrack oh there's a nick foley or i don't know whoever the hell it was but you're picturing it correctly where i'm picturing- time time yeah froze Everything fell away. The periphery gets kind of hazy and sparkly. There was we like lock eyes. Music. Yeah, and we like lock disco eyes. Disco ball lights <laughs> spanning across the room. Yeah, that's what happened. And then we we hung <laughs> out and we we chatted and bullshit for a while. And so he you told me that he me. was here at I Archon see you in a crowd. <laughs> see my face. I love you. <laughs> so I, I was thinking more my hand and. <laughs> Walk with me. I was thinking more of the song, uh, you know, every step you take, every move you make, I've been watching you. That's what's going on with Brodor because he's stalking Pete. (laughs) Well, no, this was just a happy coincidence. No, yes. So we got got to talking and and Pete was telling me he was there actually demoing a role-playing game that he has written. 
And, uh, you know, we started talking about RPGs and blah, blah, blah. Long story short, we came back, recorded the next episode, and I wanted to pimp Pete's game and this great idea he has for a role-playing game. Which I can't thank you enough. It was awesome because I already was a booter. So I listen. Uh, sometimes I'm an episode or two behind. Luckily, I wasn't that week. And, I, you know, I'm just at work in my day job, like, listening. It's, like, 4 o'clock. And, you know, uh, Brodar starts talking. He's like, hey, you know who you are. And, you know, I'm like, is he going to mention me? And then he <laughs> proceeded to talk. Like, if not the whole episode, there was, like, little parts that chimed back to our relationship. Even like towards the end, and it was it was a total riot. <laughs> I feel like what is that NPR thing they're doing where they're going around trying to get stories from people across the country? Just have them like tell their odd life stories. This American Life? Uh, maybe that's what it's called. I, I it's called like the American Story Project or something like that. Anyway, but I remember listening to this really fascinating story about this man who had gone to war. I want to say it was in Korea, might have been Vietnam, and fell madly in love with this woman over there and then got sent back home and did not see her again and lived decades and decades and decades in America and was apparently never a happy man, was always a very bitter person. And then near the end of his life, the most unlikely of circumstances, they were reunited somehow. And he got to be with the love of his life. Now, they're, of course, both elderly people by this point, but at, at the end of their years. So nobody has more sex than the elderly. I know people that work in nursing homes and the <laughs> stories that, I've Wayne. heard, Thank I you, don't want to hear. <laughs> no, they do not. Picture that. I didn't need to think about that. I didn't need to nope. imagine that. There yeah. are rampant STDs at the nursing home. <laughs> oh, no. No, no, no. <laughs> Rotor, what happened next? <laughs> yeah, so it was just thinking about but like th this is a story I expect one of you guys to be telling in one of those little sound booths 40 years from now about how you like met at Origins and then re met at Archon and then there's this podcast and then decades go by and Mike's forced to live his life with memory and, and and Pete, what's your wife's name? I know you're married, I forget her Carly. name. Yeah, and, and so you're for you know you guys just have to deal with your lives there, and then finally when you're elderly people in, in Wayne's the nursing home STD love shack <laughs> nursing home that I I don't want to know about. <laughs> How about only like a gamer love story would include a chance meeting at a convention that leads to another chance meeting at another convention that leads to talking on a podcast? <laughs> like that's not exactly like the the typical route of a true love story. <laughs> Yeah, but see, the thing is, you're beautiful. So for me, I, I'm i going to have to get a personal trainer and a nutritionist. And I mean, I'm going to have to go to the gym and get swole if I'm going to somehow persuade you to be gay for this day. Right. So gay you got to go day. get that prison body. Yeah. <laughs> precisely. Precisely. I need to be like Bronson. Right. <laughs> I like how you said it. Wayne, I don't need to. Bronson. <laughs> Wayne's passing around an article now that I'm not going to link in the show notes about senior homes and STDs. All right. So let's wow. get like but, but, but one more Here's thing the on the article at CBS <laughs> on the seniors, because, you know, like, OK, so when you're younger, you have a, you have difficulty unclasping the bra. Like, is there an <laughs> etiquette and a procedure to undoing the depends? 
Like if I'm taking off your absorbent undergarment, like is there a way to do it that's sexy? I don't know, but I know I like the that he's asking us. I know. The activity has contributed to the rise of cases of syphilis, chlamydia, and gonorrhea among 45 to 64 year olds. Well, 45, what are 45 to 64 year olds doing in nursing homes? They're orderlies. <laughs> There were almost 900 cases of syphilis in 45 to 64 year olds in 2000. And in 2010, the number. I, I grew, don't know. Okay. In 2010, the number grew to 2,500. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, Saturday nights for Slamming Ethel. <laughs> <laughs> it's an epidemic. Amazing. So, all right. So, let's. Uh, gaming topic here. All right. So. Playing elderly in a game. You have <laughs> wow, a, you have a, a website. I don't know if this is your company name as well or not, but you have a website. I think it's what imagininggames.com. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Oh, okay. And that's so the a, name of the company as well. Imagining okay. games. Imagininggames.com. All right. And right now you are working on or preparing, I'm sorry, you you have been working on yeah. an RPG called Dream Chaser. A game of destiny. The part that we mentioned at least in passing, or whatever show that was, and I'll link it in the show notes. Cause I think it was 419. I, I think it was somewhere in the 14s, <laughs> but it, it wasn't Wayne's STD article, so we will link that. <laughs> and the thing about the article... about that in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, thing that, <laughs> the thing that caught our attention about it, other, well, Broder got, obviously, <laughs> your, your fluttering eyelashes, but what caught our attention about it is the fact that part of creating the group and the game, you know, the game zero work, the group template work, whatever you want to call it, is that you create an ending. All right, so I want to hear about Dream Chaser in general, but before we get to Dream Chaser in general, is it, does it make any sense or does it work to kind of start at the end, both metaphorically and literally, to talk <laughs> about that mechanic? Yeah, actually, that's the first thing we do talk about. Okay, that- great. Yeah, the first thing that players do is that we hand out note cards, and each person writes on a note card a goal for their game, and that becomes our dream. Um, so we do start with the end. All right, so, so what kinds of things have people written when you have run this in the past? Oh, sure. It spans the gambit. So, uh, you know, liberate the moon, free Palestine, make the perfect hamburger, uh, discover a hidden civilization, uncover the mystery of uh, my small town. You know, return my ancestral armor, petition the Wraith King, become the drug boss of the city, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You've never gotten kill the guy next to me? No, I've never gotten that. <laughs> really? I think games, games became that, but it never have, started there. I have to imagine that if I ran this at most cons I attend, the note cards I would get back would all pretty much be everyone wanting to kill the person to their right. <laughs> or possibly the entire party. So, Pete, does each player come up with their own individual end goal, or is it a collective, is it a group decision? How does that work? Each person on a note card writes out their own um, goal for the game, which is a dream. It's a short sentence, a few words maybe. Um, it's meant to be vague. You know, I don't want players thinking about how or why this is possible or this becomes a thing. Just, you know, hey, I want to play a game where we free an innocent man who is enslaved or imprisoned. And then each person writes that on a card so they don't have to share that out loud at that point. They're free to just kind of put whatever, you know, they really want to do on this card. And then after everyone has at least one of them, we begin sharing them out loud. And then the players collectively vote on which one they want to play. Okay, so if somebody just does something stupid, 
it won't necessarily end up as part of the game. So, Everyone can vote. Okay, so, so the group will end up with one goal. They will come up with one dream. Okay. And then what happens next is that each player then can have an experience that happens along the way, which is kind of like a mini dream or just another goal. And that one's completely theirs. So once we know what the, the main goal of the story is, each player can now interject something like Wayne said. It might be stupid, but each one of them is an experience they want to get out of a role-playing game. So therefore important. So yeah. let's take an actual example here. Let's say we're playing a good old fantasy setting, okay? So a and d ish kind of setting like obviously anyone listening is going to be familiar with. Yeah. And let's say that we pick the thing that we want to liberate our hometown from the tyrannical rule of the evil wizard, right? Nice generic plot line. I would stick with liberate hometown and let whatever that other part is kind of happen. Okay. Okay. Well, and I'll come back to that because that actually partially answers one of my next questions. So if I come up with an individual goal now, is that something like I really want to open a tavern in that town or... I want to reclaim my family's farm, which is part of that town, or there's someone I want to get revenge on in the pro- I mean, like, what, what does an individual goal look like? Any, any experience that they want to have via their character. So any one of those things could be legitimate, but they do have to basically express what they want and hear everyone else express what they want. And then they're going to sequence the order of which how those happen along the path of telling the story. So a lot of times because of the framework and how it kind of starts from the the back and then works its way forward, if that makes sense, starts from the the grand goal and then kind of like fills in. A lot of times players are not going to just throw out ideas that they think ruin the story. So if the story is about liberating the town, most of the time you don't have some guy who's like, well, you know, pick something completely opposite of the story. Um, but the other, just to add to it, is that sometimes, though, they do pick something odd, but then it, it does take the story in a different direction. It makes it more unique and gives it more character. It, can it be a non-sequitur along the way? Like, the, the goal is liberate the town, and I say, I want to see the top of Mount Kilimanjaro. Yeah. No, that's perfectly fine, because actually what's neat about that is, the whole purpose of this is that once we have the grand goal, we then have a number of these character milestones, is what I call them, that, that build like a roadmap to that grand goal. So yeah, then it would become a focal point of the story would be, you know, climbing to the top of uh, Mount Kilimanjaro. And the story would then uh, have a purpose for doing so, which, you know, it'd be easier to illuminate if we had the sequence. But, you, you know, know that's I, where I'm, the wizard is. Yeah, well, I'm starting, exactly. to, I'm starting to get this, that in a way this creates the arc of a campaign. Because mm-hmm. we now know Okay, and this is, I mean, going back to the group template, one of the things we put on the group template is what are the common things that motivate the party, right? So now we already know they have a dream. They want to liberate the town. If we know that along the way, somebody wants to see a top of Mount Kilimanjaro, well, right now that gives the game master a plot hook of, well, for some reason, I have to take them to the top of the mountain. So why would we go to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro? Well, you know, if the MacGuffin, well, the MacGuffin, <laughs> or I don't know, we could look up myths and legends about Kilimanjaro and what's associated with it. And it seems like, you know, or if it was a fantasy study and if I didn't use a real mountain that you could go start reading up on what's associated with that place. And, and, and it, but it seems like that this starts giving inspiration to the game master. Now I have one specific question and then I'm going to ask you a broader question, which you've actually already started answering. The specific question is if you ever had anyone 
try to basically play, uh, for lack of a better term, the betrayer, where everybody says, okay, we want to liberate the town. And then I say my individual goals, as soon as the town's liberated, I want to be the new tyrant. I want to take control. Right. Of so if you don't mind, let's let's just make a little simple exercise out of this, and it'll it'll make all of this make a lot more sense. Yes, please. So we, we said liberate the town is our dream, right? So if the three of you, if we had Wayne and we had Brodor and we had Dan as players, one of you would have said, hey, I think a cool game would have been to liberate a town. So, Dan, you said climb to the top of Kilimanjaro. Yes. Brodor, what is one thing you'd like to experience with a character in a story about liberating the town? I think that he wants to reconnect with his estranged parents because right. he, he ran away from home very young. And Wayne, I'm going to ask you the same question. Kill a dragon. Okay. And then I would basically, once we had each of these, they'd be on note cards. And we have this cool visual aid that's like a, a dream map where you can put the sequence in the middle of the table and everyone can visibly look at it and manipulate it. Now we have these three points. Was it Slay a Dragon, Wayne? Yep. Okay. So then what happens after we have these three points is we go, in what order do these happen in our story? So the story is liberate the town. Does the first event climb to the top of Kilimanjaro? Is this first event reconnect with the strange parents? Or is the first event slay a dragon? All right. You know what? Climbing to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro, to me at least, seems like the sort of thing that is grandiose, but it also does not require any substantial amount of power player character power to do right i think reuniting with parents is going to be a very dramatic moment i'd like to see the characters better established wayne slain a dragon we need to work up to that yep so my <laughs> my suggested order is kilimanjaro first parent second dragon third and broder what do you think as much as narratively I think it would be amusing at day one, eight o'clock, for us to just step onto the block and kill a <laughs> dragon, right? I agree with the grandiose nature of the mountain. I think that's I think that's right. I like, but I, I think Dan's order is solid. Okay. Yeah. So let me just flip this on its head just to give you an idea of how this story could have been placed differently, right? Because we, we, we clearly said, hey, in the linear story structure, that Slay the Dragon's that third milestone. That's the big one before the end. But yeah, what if this was like a fall from glory story? And we started, and I don't know if Beowulf's a good example, but we started with slaying the dragon. So we, we walked up to the dragon's lair, or maybe it was atop a mountain. And then for whatever reason, after the battle, the characters uh, fell from grace. Maybe they fell from the mountain. They were displaced or uh, unable to continue in the area that they were. And that reconnecting with estranged parents is actually something that's kind of like a soul story within each of them or within one of the major characters of trying to find the will to survive and reclimb back up the mountain where the town is. And then that would lead us to climbing to the top of Kilimanjaro where maybe we slayed the dragon right from the get-go, but then it became this whole twist of a story of survival and perseverance and growing back from, from the top to the bottom and back home again. So maybe we liberated the town right from the get-go but now we've created a whole different twist of that story. See, and this leads into the broader question that I was going to ask you, which you've already started cutting around nicely, which is one of the, the things that always comes up whenever you talk to a role player about setting the future before it occurs. Well, yeah, we just did an episode on prophecies and predictions and such. And this ties right into this. In fact, this is a question we get asked fairly often. I mean, an email and such is how do you handle this type of thing because of the fact that if you keep it as it's written, you know, as this prediction's written, a lot of time it requires you to get rather railroady or rather forced with the path there, right? Because if the ending is really specific, 
then the journey there has to be pretty specific. If I tell you I'm going to arrive at this exact address from the yeah. east at this exact point in time, I mean, you know, you're really limiting the types of things that could occur in the moments leading up to this. But you already in describing this, when we started giving detail, started talking about rolling it back so that the dream we're describing is sufficiently vague to give you some room to maneuver. Exactly. The story is between the details. Yeah. Right. And so that's a flesh that one out. And I'm also curious to hear what are some of the other tricks that you've used or discovered or told to other GMs to use this mechanic without basically painting the numbers to the end. Well, I'm also curious, growing on your comment, Dan, where does that onus lie? Because we're talking about a normal game with a GM that's doing this, but in this case, while there's a GM running it, the players chose their goals. So at that point, (laughs) part of that is on the players, too. I love this. (laughs) You're asking the players, then, you have said this is your goal. I am now presenting the world. If you want that to happen, you make it happen. (laughs) <laughs> they then are the ones laying the railroad tracks somewhere. Chad is shedding a tear of joy at a, at a game that is player driven with player effort <laughs> and Wayne's getting feisty. So yeah, Pete go. I'll try to unpack a few of these things and then just, you know, I'll try not to be too long lengthy about it, but you know, like you mentioned, Dan, uh, you answered your question. Like it has to be sufficiently vague. You don't want a book for a character milestone. You don't want a book for the dream. And sometimes that narrow vision is sometimes a a common thing that pigeonholes players. So you just have to remind them, hey, you know, you want two or three words, a short sentence. Don't be too specific. And if it is, sometimes I kick it back to them and I say, you know, like maybe we like we did with what you said, like forget about the wizard part. Let's just say liberate the town. And if we end up having a wizard in the story, great. But unless you have to have the wizard in the story, we could just cut it to liberate the town. There's one thing I wanted to throw in there. So I'm just going to throw this out first before I forget it, which is that, you know, you always get asked, what kind of a game is Dream Chaser? You know, what kind of a game is Battletech? What kind of a game is Dungeons and Dragons? Uh, because I think that's just how we've been programmed to, like, you know, consume these products. It's like, what kind of a game? And I think that's kind of a question this game does right that a lot of games do wrong is that, you know, even if we sit down with Session Zero, a lot of times we, we don't get to the, the bottom of it. We, we get down there in, in the weeds, but we don't get to the bottom of it. We say, I want a Wild West game with like, a, you know, a lot of shooting or I want a, you know, a train robbery in the Wild West. But we don't say exactly what we want. So even with that, it got us there, but didn't give our brains anything to work with. It just said, hey, you're, you know, you're wearing this trapping, this skin. But it's not saying like, once you say we're going to rob a train, or that's when your brain start getting creative and start working. They're when your brain starts going, how do I rob a train? And what kind of a character would rob a train? Not like uh, the, the vagueness of just being like, we're in a setting. So I think that's one of the cool things is we ignore setting. We let setting happen organically. And that's one of the coolest things that it kind of jumps straight through is that sort of fog of what setting can be and how setting can kind of limit characters and limit like creativity and like what we can get out of our game. Now, Wayne, you said the how and the why become the GM's job. The reason you can give the players this much work is because it's not a lot of work. You just say, imagine a goal for your game. Imagine an experience you want to have with your character in this game. And that's, that's the framework that they, they kind of complete. And then they hand this sequence of events to the game master and say, game master, run me this game. And 
the beauty of it is that I mean, you, obviously the session zero part, the the player investment, the players having a mutual goal, making characters around the goal of the game, a setting that wraps around the goal of the game, not you know any of these boxes you have to fit in before. So that that's kind of that basic. Does that kind of answer that question or? You know what, I, this game reminds me of sort of the yin to fate's yang. Because, it is, it is in a way, definitely, because fate is obviously a big inspiration. Because fate is descriptive about who you are and where you came from, whereas this is much more descriptive about where you're going and who you will be. Yes. And so it reminds me just at, at first blush a lot of fate. And... I'm going to get to another thought on that here, but the, the question that I've been, I've really been kind of teasing out here that I, I want to hear is, so what are the things that you've learned while running this game? What's the stuff that you've seen the hard way that refined this idea that worked, that didn't work, that would serve as, as advice you would pass along sure. to other people that would try this sort of system? You know, role-playing games often, you know, we don't realize how many times we tell players no, you know, we always lure them to the table with, you know, be whatever you want, uh, you know, do whatever you want. That's what a role playing game is. And then we're like, as long as you're one of these nine classes and these six races and from one of these worlds and, you know, you want to play in a fighting game or, you know, you know, we, we just start covering them in labels, just pouring labels all over them and saying, so did you end up with exactly, you know, whatever you imagined? And they don't, you know, they compromise, they compromise, compromise, compromise. So when you don't force players to compromise, other than with them being social, they don't feel limited. This is, character creation becomes a fun and enjoyable collaborative experience. They, they start really enjoying each other's brainstormed ideas. They start running with like down roads of like, well, what if we played that game with that dream? Or what if I had this milestone? Or what if we switched these two milestones around? We could have this kind of a story. So it's a fun collaborative experience that's really imaginative because it, it frees your creativity. The, the character sheet itself has step-by-step instructions on how to make a character. Um, you know, obviously with the guide, a game master, it makes that feasible. But yeah, I mean, a player doesn't have to open the book. So this is wonderful for new players. It's wonderful for people who don't, you know, are turned off by having to research uh, making a character or doing a lot of reference, but that's also what makes this a, a more liberating character creation experience too, because they're they're not doing homework, you know, they're imagining and putting it on the piece of paper. Yeah, so that was going to be one of my questions, is if you open a, a Dream Chaser book, right, you, you said it is not hard setting specific, because you want the dreams to define the setting. Yes. And, okay, so my setting could be fantasy, it could be Wild West, it could be sci-fi, it could be whatever, right? It's it's like a novel. You know, they always say, don't box yourself in. Right. You don't have to say that you, you know, if you, you can simply say he has brothers. You don't have to say he has five brothers and how old they are, because later on you might regret that decision. Right. Okay, so if I open up a book of Dream Chaser, what is in there? Like, what does this game give me? If I to put in a couple things would be it gives you a framework, right? Okay. It gives you me because that, that's probably the biggest thing I can do for Sold. you. Yeah. <laughs> will take 20. Uh, you know, you one, of the, one, one of the things when I, you know, took this game out um, after showing it locally to my friends and game stores and whatever, you know, when I started going to conventions, you know, I went from September to December to you know, places outside of my local area, you know, at six or eight conventions, um, 
and you know, played with strangers, played with people I didn't know. I didn't have connections. I just popped myself in places and were like, hey, try this game. It's not exactly something you've played before, but try it out. And sometimes they were people who didn't play role-playing games. Sometimes they were people who played board games, and I just I was sitting across from them long enough. They're like, okay, I'll give it a try. So I guess, what I'm, again, what I'm trying to say is that all of that feedback and information and seeing all of these different people have their experience with the game, I offer that to you. And I offer you the right questions. Like, I know um, what questions you need to ask to move things forward in this process of creating your story. I call it dream mapping and creating your characters and then playing the game. Because you mentioned character creation, obviously Dream Chaser does have its own system. This is not simply a, a toolkit for other games. Yeah, and that's my big question because being setting agnostic and doing all of this work to, up front to create your story, you still how do you avoid that issue of character sitting down and I have this character in my mind? You still have a system that has to somehow fit that. Basically, how does the system work? Okay, so we, we talked a little bit about dream mapping. So there's, there's about 11 steps from, you know, right now with nothing to being ready to play. And, you know, the first step is we make the dream. Second step is we, we all pick out roles in our dream. That's just to start getting us thinking of who, what kind of characters we would be in this story, um, who are the most important people in this story. And then we pick out our character milestones, and then we move on to tags. Uh, tags are descriptors uh, for your character. Uh, these become important later in the mechanics, but um, they can be anything from being pretty to fast to smart or, you know, stuff that's more two or three words like daring scoundrel or, you know, dashing do-gooder. Um, but things that help kind of focus on who you want your character to be and what kind of a person that character is. Each character has a belief stat, and a wealth stat. We have a mind, body, and spirit. So there's health statistics. How the game works mechanically is the, mechan- the, the role mechanic is designed to be a visualization of what you plan to do. You know, if there's a fire in this building right now, each of us might have a different response in our head of how we would handle that situation. So the role mechanic is to identify what kind of a solution you would come up with and if that would be successful. We do that with two dice. There's a soul skill and then there's a skill and ability. Uh, the soul skills are imagine reason. So that's how we part of the visualization process. And then we, we kind of tunnel that through our skill set or our abilities, which are our strategies for success in the world. So, you know, maybe it's fighting, persuasion, piloting, or, you know, specifics like rocket science or something. And then characters have relationships. They have belongings. So I guess one of the points I'm trying to get across with the stuff on the character sheet is that you have a meaty character compared to, like, Fiasco. It's not a meaty character compared to every game, like, you know, Eclipse Face, but it is a, a substantial character because I wasn't trying to make remake fiasco i was trying to make a bit of a gateway that might be something like fate but something that lowered the bar for entry but brought traditional players closer to story games but also maybe didn't put all of that onus on the players of like tell me what the next scene is players go ahead and direct it that kind of turns off more traditional or new players so one thing i've noticed on games that come out some games seem to be based around one shots as the best way to run them some are more susceptible to campaigns. You preempted yeah. my question. Yep. So what do you have in mind for this game? Do you see it as a one-shot game, or do you see it as a campaign game? For the most part, it is a, uh, I don't want to say campaign game. It's probably in between. 
Um, one of the nice things is because you have an end in mind, uh, it does help pacing because kind of like Dan mentioned earlier, each one of these milestones, if you're playing in a traditional game setting where, you know, it's your local group, you have access to multiple weeks of playing, not just like, you know, this one time at a convention, you know, you can play, you know, four times, like with each milestone being its own session. So the game master would know like, hey, this is the goal of the session practically. Now, when I run this at a convention, I'm going to do this in a condensed sense where I'm going to try to hammer each one of these milestones out, you know, in somewhere around an hour. Now, if in a one shot, sometimes it becomes more of a demo. You know, you spend 30 minutes dream mapping, making your character, and then maybe we, we have two hours total. So then I have an hour and a half to kind of knock out that first milestone and give you that kind of full experience with uh, wanting a little bit more. So a one-shot is totally doable. A long game is probably preferred because of this belief mechanic we haven't talked about. Um, every time you hit these milestones, your character begins to believe more in himself and, you know, kind of in his view of the world. So there's, there's character growth. And this unlocks more creative ability, creative control that the players can enact by spending belief. Wayne, when I was hearing him describe that, even before we got to this more detailed description, what it reminded me very much of is the sort of arc approach or the chapter approach yeah. to running games. Which is how I run. Yeah, which, yeah, exactly. Of saying, okay, we're going to have, I mean, it could be a couple of weeks, it could be a couple of months, but we're going to dish out the story in a, in a chapter or in an installment. And then at that point, we can decide, okay, we're going to rotate GMs. The same GM is going to recenter and keep going. Or heck, maybe we break, do another game, and then come back to this one later, like the way that yep. you guys were in Dresden. Yeah. I aim for about a six-month story arc to complete one entire set of story and then let someone else run while I uh, yeah, play. Uh, precisely. Right, and the area where individual milestones fits in very well is that it allows the game master to plot the game. So, all right, so this week's game session, I'm going to focus on Wayne's milestone. And then next game session, maybe I'll get well, to Dan's you know, milestone. There was something that this got me thinking about, which is the structure of the D&D game that Chad ran. Because, Wayne, I don't know if you remember this or not, but Chad said that he had loosely structured that campaign into three general arcs. Yep. The first one was going to be predominantly about Saren. The second one, I think, was going to be predominantly about... He was getting into my backstory. ...into Sir William. And then the final story would be the return to the South, which is where this had all began, and was going to be mostly Narl's story. But within each of those, right? So within each of those, he didn't want anyone to be completely neglected. And so there were individual parts of each chapter that focused on each person. And so if we were to sort of bastardize Pete's model of the way that this, this looks is I could <laughs> almost say that the way that that game worked was it'd be like if in the first chapter, we kind of let Pat have the driver's seat on the dream. So Pat's dream for the first chapter would have been to regain his regain lordship. A kingdom. Regain his mine, lordship. Mine would have been to deal with my, past which would have been the next story arc of going back to my kingdom and then gnarls would have been uh gnarl actually though he never told anybody i don't think except maybe pat's character i don't know if he even told him he, he was primarily after two things one was he wanted to kill the guy that had started the invasion that all but ended his species he wanted because he was after the guy that had driven the gnolls north and then the second thing is he was trying to find his mother 
And that was one that I don't think he ever discussed with the party because that was kind of the not funny joke of his character is he's this eight foot tall monster with mommy issues. (laughs) But but the point being that imagine if we had said, okay, Pat, we're going to go with your primary dream for the first arc. All right. We've all agreed that, that the first arc is going to be the dream is Pat gets his Lordship back within that. We have individual goals. Narl wants to reconstitute some form of a Nolish tribe. Wayne, you want to, I don't know what you're trying to get a new hat and Pat had, I know he had some literal family issues. Well, game family issues within there that he was sorting out. So Pat even had a small dream within the big dream. And at the end of that dream, when Pat had that town back, he had, I think it was called Vatoon. He had a city back. He had his lordship back. That would be like the end of that dream. And now we pass it to Wayne and say, okay, Wayne, chapter two's yours. We'll just defer to you. But what's the dream? You know, what is it we're working toward? So, Pete, do you do that in the game? Is there a what's next? So in our, our original scenario, we've slayed the dragon. I've reunited with my parents. We've climbed the mountain. Um, the town is saved. What's <laughs> next for this group? Do we pick a new dream? For sure. It, it's up to you at that point. The nice part is that with an end in mind, you know, some players who might not commit to role-playing games because they can't make, you know, the never-ending time commitment are going to be lured in to be like, oh, cool, this is like a board game in a way that it does end. You know, it doesn't, you know, we, we have a goal in mind. Yeah. Um, with the milestone structure, it, it helps pacing so you would believe that um, we're not going to have 16 filler episodes that happen in between, you know, milestones to your dream. So to answer your question directly, when, when all that's done, it's up to the players. They can go tell another story if they got everything they wanted out of it. I mean, that's the idea of the milestones in the dream is to give the players the experiences they want out of a role-playing game. So that could change. You know, I mean, what you love about Narl might be the character, but it might be really a, a collection of moments, you know? And then once you get those moments, you might be ready for someone else's moments. So tell us about the belief mechanic. Sure. That's the yeah. second time. <laughs> Wayne's taking my questions. You're taking my questions. <laughs> well, uh, none of us are taking your feet. Uh, <laughs> all right. All right. You know what? You're right. Okay. So the, you, believe, <laughs> you know, we didn't touch on this yet. Uh, it's weird talking about a game like all around it, you know, without, I'm sure we missed some parts here that would help you all understand it. But yeah, all the numbers in the game are on a one to 10 scale. So it's something that, you know, probability and guesswork, or, you know, out the window. Everyone can relate to a 1 to 10 scale. Target numbers don't go up or down. They're always you rolling against your character sheet. So you're always rolling under scores in your sheet. So with that, you know, it, the, the bar for entry, again, is low. Um, what I like about it, too, is it's a story about belief because the characters themselves are their own worst enemies. Like, because the characters themselves are the, the bar for moving forward towards their own dreams and their own aspirations. Like, Maybe you are strong or good or great enough. You just have to believe in yourself. So there's a very strongly implied princess bride sort of metagame to this <laughs> that the player or the character rather could only move as far forward as they are ready to within the story. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Can you make the Annie Oakley shot? Well, do you believe you could make the Annie Oakley shot? So what's cool is this ties into belief is that so you start with a four belief on this 10 point scale right in the smack of the middle of the character sheet. The only table that you really need to know is the belief chart. And that's because belief governs uh, 
an amount of special abilities you can kind of use as any character in their story. Um, you spend belief to use half of them. The other half, you just have to have a certain uh, level of belief. So every odd number allows you to have access to more abilities. And every even number, you can burn, lowering your belief by a couple points, to get a free success, get a critical success, and even begin to narrate your actions in a scene instead of rolling at all, just depending on how high you get your belief and then when you choose to burn it. So um, the high end, we'll just run through a couple of these. So in the beginning, like on the low end of, I call these boons, uh, spending your belief for boons, we have abilities that are called like hope. Hope changes one failed die result into a success. Faith changes a full roll into a double success. The tide can turn a, a roll into a critical success. Uh, the zone is where you narrate your actions for a scene. No dice rolls necessary. And then if you can max out your belief, uh, you can then narrate your actions for the entire session. That's ultimately designed that, you know, your belief goes up usually about two points per milestone. So in a short game, especially, you're probably not going to see the one or maybe even the zone. Uh, and if you do, you're going you're gonna to grab them for that moment that you don't want anyone to ruin. You're going to tell the game master and everyone at the table, this is what my character does because so my character believes. I'm the what, one. I'm Neo. What happens if I, let's say, reach that top level, I narrate my actions for an entire game. Do I stay there? Does doing that burn the belief down it does yeah okay you expend belief to do so yeah so you'd you'd at least have another meeting one of the nice things about like that that last step is a lot of times people hit that when they finish the dream so if the players still have more they want to do in this story after the dream's complete maybe like epilogue sort of stuff um it's nice because at that point you probably do have a narrate section that kind of allows you to kind of like put a bow on the end of your story so how do I gain belief? You mentioned earlier that one of them was accomplishing the dreams, the micro dreams along the, the milestones, way, yeah. the milestones yeah. along the way to the, the major dream. How else do I gain belief? Uh, that's really it. Um, if, if you have sessions that don't get to a milestone, uh, there's a, a smaller version of like allowing you to either raise your belief or lower your belief by um, just some like, does your character have uh Gosh, of course, I don't have it right in front of me, but there are a handful of just qualifying comments that like, does my character feel that I'm moving in the right direction? Can my character say that I, I like who I'm becoming? You know, these kinds of things. And your belief might go up by one for that, you know, that session. Um, but usually you're trying to get a milestone out of session, which then it probably goes up by two. Now, that's counterbalanced by if there's problems like uh, there, there's just normal dice outcomes and then there's challenges that happen on our ways to milestones challenges are, you know, a loose term for anything, whether it's a monster, um, acing a math test. If you're a kid who needs it to, you know, go on summer vacation, whatever is your trying moments towards your milestone usually end up in challenging situations. And if you fail a challenge, um, you can hurt your character's chances of completing a milestone. And usually that will, like if you're defeated outright, you'll lose points at the end of the milestone. So you'll complete the milestone, get two points. But you failed the challenge, lose two points. Moving towards the next milestone, net zero. So I find it amusing when you first asked Dan about how do you gain. I thought you said game. <laughs> so I'm thinking he, he's already asking how to power game. How do I mid-max my belief? <laughs> how do I game my belief? So let me tell you two things because we didn't talk about dice mechanic. And you just need to know sure. it because I keep talking around it, but I didn't tell you. So you always roll 2d10. 
right? We, like I said, everything's on a one to 10 scale. You're rolling under to succeed. So that means you could always have two successes, one success and a, and a miss or a failure or, you know, or no successes. So the idea is that always allows us to fail forward, kind of like an apocalypse world game. We always have a clear outcome. You either got everything you visualized, you either got nothing that you visualized and something went terribly wrong, or you got a mixed bag. You got a yes, you succeeded, but there's a catch. You know, you, you, you open the door, but there was a guard behind it. Now can you talk your way out of it? You know, you put out the fire, but your pant leg caught on fire. You know, there, there's something now that moves the story forward. So we either have clearly you got everything you wanted. You didn't get anything you wanted and you got a new problem or you did it, but, and we move forward. You know what this reminds me of as we're talking about this is I was once, I think it was, I was talking to Chad and I was trying to explain to him the attraction that I had to the show house. And the way I described the show to him is he's like, it has the same plot every show. And I said, you've got to understand house from that standpoint is the easiest show in the world to write. (laughs) You name any medical condition Grab the differential for anyone who's not into medicine. The differentials when one condition looks like another. So, you know, a headache. Is it a headache? Is it a stroke? Is it right, a so for every tumor? episode, there are six differentials. Precisely. So you grab you grab the diagnosis, you grab the differentials, and then you have the actual problem, right? There's your episode. So the real problem, the differential, and the confusion along the way, you can write the episodes backwards. It's easy as hell. What carried house during the seasons it was good, and I thought it really had solid feet in the mid-seasons, was the character drama surrounding the medical drama. The medical drama was incredibly tedious, to be completely blunt. (laughs) I did not watch that show for the medical drama. The medical drama was nothing more than a backdrop for the character drama, which is what kept me coming back to that show. And when the character drama started to falter, that's when I quit watching the show because I was never in it for the medical drama to begin with. I I don't like medical dramas. I find them all pretty boring and tedious. But this is kind of what it reminds me of, of, you know, you start with a relatively simplified endpoint. You throw in some things you're going to pass through along the way, the milestones, and You've sort of just written the game in reverse, maybe not in any detail. And I think that's the beauty of it, because you can't write the game in detail without it becoming pure narration. But you write it at least in terms of the very, very, very loose ideas of, well, I don't know exactly how this is going to go, but I can tell you which states we're going to pass through on the way. It's like an episode of Voltron or Power Rangers. You know at the end, the blazing sword is going to be formed, and they're going to chop down the monster. You ask in the beginning, why don't you just start there? But that's not the point well, of the show. I, think, I, don't, I don't know that it is like that, because the thing about Voltron or Power Rangers is the ending's incredibly specific. It's incredibly yeah. simple and repetitive, but it is incredibly specific. In Voltron, they're going to form Blazing Sword and cut the monster in half. That is exactly what is going to happen. The ending, I think, or at least the dream, if I was to describe it here, would be something more like, we are going to defeat a monster. So maybe we do pull it we off. We will defend our planet. Yes, we will defend our planet from or a major the Grendel, you know? We- we yeah. will be the greatest rock band since Gore. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, one thing I'd like to hear what you, the three of you think is that, yeah, my example is think of it like a movie trailer. 
you know, a lot of times if you watch a movie trailer, you have a general idea of what the mo- the goal of the movie is. And you know of a, cute, a couple moments along the way. You, you might not have them right, but that's also what's kind of cool about the game is that you might set out with these three milestones, but how they twist and turn and the story gets you there might end up with different versions of what you thought was going to happen. Yeah, I love it when you know an event and you were completely wrong because yeah. you're looking at it from the wrong context. And that happens a lot. A lot of times, you know, um, a player will write something and they, you know, it's real easy for us to think like the most linear way possible. It, it, you know, the story changed from right now after the first milestone and then getting to your second milestone and the synergy of the characters and whatever was put in between these milestones. All those details, the the improvisation, the the ideas, the influences, um, it can just, you know, that's, that's what the stories are. You know what the movie's about, but you watch it anyway because you want to see how it happens. A, a great example of this in pop entertainment that various people observed and, and joked about. And I have to imagine this is a pure accident because Lucas is such a moron that I cannot credit him for doing this. Maybe he did and I'm wrong. I don't know. This is just the world I live in in my head. <laughs> but the uh, prophecy about Anakin Skywalker is he was going to be the one that brought balance to the force. And there's that scene in that, and I think it's episode three where Obi-Wan's walking away from, and he's like, you know, how could you do this? You were supposed to bring balance to the force. And it's like, well, you know, if we do the head math at the start of episode one, you had several hundred Jedi and two (laughs) Sith at the end of episode three, you have two Jedi and two Sith. So he did bring balance to the force. <laughs> Maybe you weren't really clear on what the phrase balance of the force yeah. means. <laughs> what you brought up about the movie trailer, I think is an excellent way of pitching the game. If I was still in retail and I was talking to a customer and they asked me what this game was about, I think I would pitch it in that fashion and describe it as think about your role playing game. But before you ever start playing, you write a trailer for the game. So you have an idea of things that are going to occur, but not the exact nature or context of how those things occur. I think it's a really, really slick way of looking at it. Enough to get everyone on board on the same page and to make characters that have a mutual goal um, and a storyline where it's important for all of us to achieve every one of those milestones along the way. But yeah, but not more than that. I'm not asking the players to make the game, direct the game, you know. To stat out the villain. Yeah. <laughs> so can you remember any examples from any of your play tests or any of the cons that you've run of these are the, this is the one goal. These are the three individual goals or. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah let me, Let's uh, hear an example of one and sure. what the story ended up being. I'll give you one of these dreams. You pick one and then I'll see what I can re- recollect from that. Um, so one of them was discover a secret broker a piece Put the wicked to justice. Um, we petition the Wraith King. That's a popular one. Prove ourselves to the Sentinels. Uh, Prove ourselves to the Sentinels. Okay. Do they even know what the Sentinels no, were? No, Isn't that awesome? <laughs> yeah. I so, like, For me, this would be an X-Men game, and I would totally be all up on the Sentinels. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I'd be all about trying to create Siege Perilous or whatever it's called. Yeah, that, that, well, that's awesome because I would I didn't even click with click with the X Men at all. So as soon that as you said that, exactly totally different I was game. That, I yeah. Was yeah, I changed it, but it used to be the uh, banner picture on my Facebook page was a picture of a Sentinel standing guard in front of Xavier's Manor, which was on fire. 
Yeah. So prove ourselves to the Sentinels. What's funny about this one is this was actually a milestone that someone created for a game, which was, uh, I think this was the petition of the Wraith King. But I had mentioned it as one of the examples, and someone chose to use it as a dream for a different game. So let's see. Prove ourselves to the Sentinels. Yeah, if I remember right, because now there's two versions, but it did end up being like a woodland kingdom uh, of like an elven prince. It was a fantasy game. Uh, so the Sentinels became almost like rangers. Uh, and this was a more stereotypical game because it, it was like a sort of rise from the bottom to become person of quality to be one of the Sentinels. Um, so it was kind of like a become a knight, join uh, – I think it was like find a sword. The hero's journey. Yeah, it was, it was exactly. This was a very typical hero's journey. It was a shorter game. It was a two-hour session, I believe. So when a dream is selected, yeah. is it at that point that the group decides on genre? Is genre just discovered along the way? Sure. So the best way I can probably explain it to you would be to show it to you. So um, there are a lot of actual plays that I'm starting to throw up on the website at imagininggames.com. Really what happens is when you sit down and go through the process, a lot of it kind of floats in the air and begins to fall and color sort of your imaginative landscape. So, you know, when the game starts with discover a secret, it needs the milestones to make that, to give that a little flesh. So, First starts with discover a secret, but then if someone puts in something with a milestone that's like stop in an impregnable fortress or, you know, defeat the Empire, with Star Star Wars being recent, you know, maybe that's where our, our each of our imaginations start going. We all start seeing this with stormtroopers. And then that might become, you know, legitimized by one of the characters being like, uh, you know, my role is a, I am a turncoat, you know, a turncoat stormtrooper, or I am, you know, like a upstart rebel you know sometimes the games don't have like you know it could be still like the 20s the 40s but usually it begins to flesh itself out at first with the milestones in the roles but more so especially when you get to your skills and abilities because people might interject things like you know obviously sciences that weren't in medieval times uh you know maybe a cyber arm or magic or uh you know medium abilities to interact with ghosts um, so when characters start introducing things like that or relationships that then involve other other, we had a game that was like the wire, but one character had pokeballs. You know, so <laughs> so um, th- this guy was like a gangster, and uh, when he pulled them out, you know, we of course as the narrator, it got it, it became this twist because it wasn't these little cute animals that came out. It was like nobody knows what he threw at the ground, but you know these horrible gory monstrosities were coming out and just <laughs> ravaging gangsters. So, and, and the news was trying to chase down what was going on and what was putting the fear of God into the, these mobs. And it was a cool story because that actually led to the people who thought they were his higher ups, uh, lost control of them because he became too powerful with that. So do you find that the players do engage in sort of bizarre dream logic so you have these juxtapositions of, <laughs> of genre and technologies yeah. getting mixed in i was gonna ask what some of the weirdest things you've seen are like sure so yeah i would say honestly it happened more earlier on when i didn't have as good of uh questions and i didn't know see a lot of this is really the game master being like hey guys imagine a goal for your game write it on a note card if you come up with more than one write more than one put them on separate cards and then you let them do it like, I, gotcha. you know, you don't interject, you don't influence it. You're just like, you're the guide. 
when you said bring justice to the wicked, the first thing that popped into my head was this aggressively litigious suit against the writer of Wicked. (laughs) 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 So uh, just to get back to the question was, yeah, I've had a couple bizarre games, but I haven't had those any any anytime recently. And I, I start to think that that's mostly because I caught some things. Like for example, like the game with the pokeballs, that was a that was a flaw because I didn't have the players. I was in a hurry to get them uh, started, so I didn't have them all share what skills and abilities they had. And by missing that step after they wrote them down, they didn't have a chance to hear what everyone had and kind of use it as checks and balances. Sure, but I would make the counterpoint: if that group of people had fun and it was a good story, was it really oh, yeah. a flaw? It was, and it was an awesome story, but I mean, I want them to make that choice, you know, knowingly consciously. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. You don't, you don't want someone to make like a janitor and be like, oh great, this game sucks. I'm a janitor. He's got freaking murderous pokeballs. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, he could have one hell of a mop. Yeah, he could, he could, you know, and that's kind of one of the things that we, we didn't talk about. That's really cool about the game is mops. since it's not focused <laughs> on, yeah, mops, <laughs> Since it's not necessarily focused on combat or, you know, social combat or puzzles or something, like it doesn't necessarily have one area of expertise. Everything is on an even scale. You make a character that has strategies of how you approach life. And I mean that like, you know, if you're a pretty person, you know, maybe you're pretty makes up for, for being stupid. Um, but, you know, like maybe your skills and abilities become tailored to that. Your tags become associated to that. And even your makeup of your, your health scores. So what's really cool is that usually each character has like one to three methods of how they, they get everything in their world. You know, like, Dan, if you were uh, – and I'm just hypothetically, I don't know. So, you know, obviously persuasive people most of the time try to get things they want or accomplish things in this world by being persuasive, by being charming. You know, they work people in that way. Just like if you're strong, maybe you bully people or you, you domineer people or you – you know, if you're rich, you buy your way. Exactly. One of the beauties of the game is that it's so freeing of a creative experience that, like, there's no wrong way. Like, you can choose any one of those routes, and it's so, like, equally if, strong. If you're charming and, and handsome, you find your way onto a podcast like that. Sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, my strategy, if that was the case, is maybe networking, right? If I had the money, maybe I'd buy Fear the Boot. You know, so it's you, know, you find your way of oh, getting Oh, we're whores. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, we're not. The, no, they get paid. Yeah. <laughs> I'll say the amount of money that I have not accepted in the course of running this show is, yeah. <laughs> there are stories, man. I tell you, the day that Fear the Boot shuts down, the final episode, <laughs> this is just going to be six hours of me <laughs> At the bottom of a bottle of tequila and the stories I am going to tell will bring the role playing industry to its knees because things I know I'm still stuck on the mop because now I'm thinking like toxic crusader. You could even make a mop interesting. No, I, you know, I'm picturing a mop with like googly eyes, oh, and like yeah. it, it, like you, like people think it's a regular mop until you like hold it out at people, and then it like comes alive in this like Cthulhu sort of looking yeah. thing and eats your soul or something. Okay, so since he brought up the mop, one of the things this game has is it's got relationships. So relationships usually are with people. You know, people are the most useful, right? But it could be know, the mops. Yeah, you could ask people to do things. They could go, you know, they, they could do things for you, buy stuff, talk to people, yada, yada. But a mop, you know, is an inanimate object. 
but it can be equally important to you. You could have a relationship with your mom. Mr. One of the mom. things that a relationship does is it gives you a tag. Now, the thing we didn't talk about with the tags is tags allow you to re-roll when you fail at you know, making dice checks. And it's governed by your belief at you know when and how they affect uh, your re-rolls. But how you do <laughs> that is – I believe this mop loves me. <laughs> right? Well – you know, maybe your mop, I don't know, maybe it's durable or it's strong or it's support. As a somewhat more serious example, what's coming to my mind is Shoveler from yeah. Mystery Men. Yeah. He, I shovel well. Yeah. I, I mean, what was his phrase? Yeah, I only do one thing and that's shovel or something. I don't remember what it was he said exactly. But his belief in his efficacy with a shovel and, you know, throughout the whole thing, okay. You get the gist. Hitting someone over the head with a shuffle, that's a painful thing to do. It's a destructive thing to do to somebody. But there's that scene in the end where he's got, you know, they've got the new outfits. They found their mojo and they all believe in themselves and each other. And he takes that shovel and does a martial arts routine with it. You know, where he (laughs) it's like, wow, okay, this guy is not just hitting people with a shovel. He is doing something that really does take either an enormous amount of training or an enormous (laughs) amount of just raw talent to accomplish. This system sounds like it could run such a great mystery men game. Cause I'm thinking of every character in that movie. He, the dream was to be superheroes. Their dream was to be superheroes. That was their dream. The one character (laughs) wanted to be the best fork flinger. Yeah. Throw a knife cause he's not knifey boy. The one of the Raja, wasn't it? Yep. Yeah. The uh, Invisible Kid believed he could turn invisible. (laughs) Mr. Furious believed he had superpowers. Every one of them was tied around their beliefs of what they could do. And they all have that character moment that would be there. In this game, I want to have superpowers because I got angry. Well, and with Mr. Furious, actually, the, the way I would go with him in this game is I would put him under the milestone of, I think these people are kind of crazy. And I'm not really buying it anymore. I mean, that's a little bit too much wording. But he had a much simpler milestone if he wanted the girl. Yeah. And it was in the, and how did he finally get the girl? It was when the, was it Frankenstein or whatever his name was, the, the main bad guy threatened her. And because he was in love with her. He just plain old fashioned lost his shit and beat him up. (laughs) (laughs) You know, he didn't gain any superpowers. He just lost his full mind. (laughs) There was no superpowers there. It's just, is he threatened the woman he loved and he didn't suddenly sprout wings or, or blades. He just curb stomped and ghetto beat the guy for doing that. I mean, that was Casanova Frankenstein. Casanova, right? That was I knew the Frankenstein was in there. So, yeah, even the villains they believe that Disco will not die. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you know, the, I I think you could give somewhat varying things to each of them. Uh, you know, the milestone with Raj was yeah, he did want to be really good with his flatware, but he also <laughs> wasn't he also the one that wanted to. How he wanted his mom to understand understand and support him. He wanted his mom to understand and support him. There's his milestone. And at the end of the movie, or near the end of the movie, she takes out 
like grandma's china or whatever and gives him the family heirloom silverware to take to the final fight because she finally believes in him or at least well this is, she finally accepts she's not going to have grandchildren <laughs> what, what i she yeah whatever it was whether she believed or whether she simply just you know what just she just sold herself up yeah. the river whatever it was the point is that i think there's a variety of ways that you could describe that whereas uh, who was the play show? Was, was William H. Macy, I think, that played Shoveler? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, he really did believe that that he could be a superhero, you know, of, of some sort. And he was. I mean, he really did have a peculiar knack with a shovel. Was it superpowered? I don't know. I'm not sure if anyone in that movie but the bowler actually had a real superpower. Spleen. Yeah. Oh yeah, he could he could hurt like he, he could injuriously direct farts. Yes. <laughs> so okay, so there is well, the one I could turn invisible if nobody's looking. So okay, I guess some of them did really have genuine superpowers. <laughs> for the most part, they didn't. They just did weird things well. That's they, a really they, good example, though, for this game in the way that it's you know like a lot of games would be really hard to like quantify or qualify each of those abilities and like put them in the game. But yeah, in this one, it'd just be a skill or ability. It'd be like one of your strategies of succeeding. <laughs> So I like, can shovel. <laughs> you just have to explain how, you know, directing farts in a way is going to be, you know, like solve your problem. Like, how does that work? Is it is it a way that farts would like is they stink? That's a reasonable <laughs> use. Or is it a way that you're going to somehow like blow it in and it's going to go through someone's ear and the gust of wind is going to push them away? And that's in a very unimaginative use of it. So roll imagine and fart gas or whatever it is. I didn't think I'd be able to like you more, but I was wrong. (laughs) You believe in farts. (laughs) My flatulence is powerful. All right. So if you guys at home want to check this stuff out you can find pete's main site at imagininggames.com i'll link that in the show note but also as of january 24th so it will be a week after the show drops on the patreon site but should be a couple of days before this went on the main feed so by the time you're listening to the show it should have been released dream chaser is also going to be up on kickstarter Pete is kickstarting the project, and I hope that you guys will get out there. Pete, do you want to give us a little preview of what kind of rewards and stuff? I mean, I know the, the Kickstarter is not launched yet. So sure, yeah. What, what, what Pete's about to say, he's not committing to anything but <laughs> light petting with Rodor, but what types of things are we doing on the Kickstarter? Okay. So, I mean, we have all the standard standard bearers. You know, we have our PDF, we have our soft cover, we have a hard cover uh, of the book. I think the hard cover comes with, a, you know, a wristband that says Chase Your Dreams. Um, but then beyond that, one of the coolest things we have, just other than add-ons, is there's going to be a box set. It's called the Pretend Box. What's cool about it is that... It's, you don't it's, get anything. There's literally yeah, no box. <laughs> Nothing is in it. When you open it up, what'll be cool is that it'll have like a fold-out dream map that you can place on the table and that'll fit note cards that you can place on it. So when characters write on the note card, they can slap them on. And we always have this visual representation of like our social contract. And uh, amongst that, you know, it'll come with dice and character sheets, the book, uh, like I mentioned, the uh, bracelets and stuff. But yeah, a little bit of all all kinds of swag that we have for the project. But uh, what I like about that is as a visual aid, I hope we'll invite more people to the hobby. You know, you slap that down at the game store, you might lure a board gamer into playing, not realizing what they're doing. Or, you know, to people who are more visually attracted, they're going to say, what's going on over there? What are you playing? 
And that'll be a great segue for you to say, well, you know, why don't you try it out? Here's a, a we can make you a quick ally character. And everything with such a low bar of entry is just imaginative. So there's nothing that's going to push them away, nothing that's going to be like complicated or too much math or, you know, I don't have time to read or I can't commit to this game. So it's why my first game is going to include between 20 and 30 foldouts of hardcore pornography. <laughs> <laughs> just put it down on the table. People wander over to look at it and you hook them into role playing. So, you know, you have to name your levels. You should call the pretend box. The Canadian girlfriend. <laughs> That's fantastic. So, all right, Pete, before we close out the show, let's end it the way we always do our interviews. Is there anything other than ImaginingGames.com and the Dream Chaser Kickstarter that you want our folks to be aware of, to know that is going on in Pete world? No, that's it. That's that's the center of my world right now in this busy week of Kickstarter preparation. So, yeah, ImaginingGames.com, you can find you know, all of the social media links. You can find all the, you know, the news page on the, the Facebook. You can find actual plays. You can find walkthroughs. And, uh, you know, things are getting added every day leading up to that Kickstarter. Cool. Well, Pete, I want to thank you very much for joining us. Not as much as Broder is going to thank you, but <laughs> I still thank you in my own way for joining us. And uh, check the show notes for all the links. Beyond that, have a great week and great games, and we will catch you guys next time. Happy birthday, Bob. My brother. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2017. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. Fear the Boot is also a member of the RPG Academy Network of Shows. You can find other great shows in this network at therpgacademy.com slash network.